everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller. Sarah. Hello, JVL. Hi, Tim. <laughs> Sorry, we were Hi, having buddy. a little bit of a little bit of an, a green room, green room fight. Just before uh, we How's it going, everybody? Sarah. Sarah is sick for the first time in two years. <laughs> Can we go back to all oh. homeschooling for everybody? Can we not allow children back to school? I know everybody's like, got to get our kids back to school. But if our kids go back to school, we are going to wind up sick. The adults, the grownups. <sighs> right? Yeah. I mean, I, I knew this was coming where the kids were going to go back to school, especially like the, the toddler and pre-K for the first time, that they were going to catch like regular germs for the first time. Like the he's never had a cold, my youngest. He's like lots since he was a baby. And of course, like the first week after being back at school, he just walks in with like snot pouring down his face. And he's still at that age where you got to like pull up their pants to help them. And every time, you know, I'm like in front of him trying to help him with something, he's just like coughing right into my face. Uh, and so I've got my, I'm just so I've got jealous my first of you guys that your kids are gone and that you have a and that you're you have a sickness. I, I because I did not realize this Delta policies and the mandatory quarantines. Anytime we get on a plane, the fall of Tim, uh, which has been nice when we you know take my child places, um, has backfired on me because now the child has to quarantine every time we get back from somewhere, and um, you know then get the little thing stuck up her nose. And, you know, she's going to school like one day a week now. So, you know, it's just really lovely that one day. I, I would like <laughs> to propose a very unpopular thing, which is that we should have in all for all school age children under the age of, say, seven mandatory mask policies for forever. Because if you ever go and sit and watch a classroom full of four year olds, the four year olds will stick their hands into their mouths absent-mindedly a hundred times an hour they just they're always like you know they're just sitting doing you know they're working on a sound box or working on some other thing and they're just like you know they they stick their fingers they just they they can't stop moving their hands and the hands always go to the mouth and that's how we the parents get sick and so we should make these little germ factories wear masks all the time just to stop them from putting their hands in their mouths well, here's the thing. So the masks, right? I mean, they're good for COVID, I guess, because it's, you know, airborne. It's because you're breathing on each other or whatever. But like it, all the other stuff lives on surfaces. You know, remember when we were all wiping down right. our is groceries and we like Was didn't know? Science? Yeah. I mean, I, oh my God, I, Tim. This is, yeah. I'm not, Are you as, asking as, me about COVID? I am not. A, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I know on the other things. I am not a hypochondriac. I know. Yeah. That, I know what is true about COVID. I was asking on the, the, the other, you know, you can get the cold off of a surface. Yes. Really? Yes. Who's this is this is why like this is like touching doorknobs. This is but but again with the kids, it's because they all they take they touch the surface and then they go right to the mucous membranes. They all you know, which is where you so you not only mm. so Tim, the way it works is the uh the the virus doesn't go through the skin on your finger. It actually has to come into contact with the mucous membrane. Again, typically the nose or the mouth. And that is how we, the parents, get sick. Because the kids are always sticking their little digits up into their mouths and picking their... And so if we just force mm. them to wear masks at all times, not just in school, at all times, young children should be masked. This Maybe I should run for office I did on, on this ACT, platform. On, on the ACT, I did ter the, like horrible in science. I did like remedial level on the science level of the ACT, which brought my whole score down. And um, and so my, my best friends uh, went to medical school, and I would have them give me a science fact every when we were drinking. I'd be like, give me one science fact that I don't know. And that, maybe you should start doing that with me like once a week, JVL, because that was a little interesting science fact about the mucous membrane. I, I gave you that. that. I just gave you that science fact. Well, you did. You did well, yeah, but JVL kind of added to it. You're right, though. You, you, start, you started it. So, yeah, a group science fact. You and JVL together. You guys could maybe get your heads together and come up with a science yeah, fact Yeah, well, you know week. what? There's no guarding against them just like coughing directly into your face. So unless you make them wear the mask all the time, <laughs> wear all the, the time, make every the, minute. They're like Bane. Your children should have to wear the Bane mask. Do you feel in control, mother? <laughs> I just disagree with this for the record. In case this this tape leaks, I just I do not I do not support mandatory masking for toddlers. I also okay. don't either, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Sorry, JBL. I don't want to elongate this conversation, but I do. I will just say that I had a real moral dilemma one time 
because uh, a person I dislike very much on Twitter, who I think is a, quite a bad faith actor, had posted a mask picture from one of her children and like was and it was like it was like brown and wet and like twitter was just like piling on her being like your child has a disease and like what are you because she was complaining about the idea of like masking toddlers and i really wanted to like leap to her defense because anybody who's got like a three-year-old knows that there's just like some mix of like drool and like if they get a cold, like there's other stuff, and then they like dig in dirt, and then like the it's yeah. like just all in, and so like I, I'm coming I clean. Really, I had the uh, same moment just the other day when I looked at Toulouse's mask, and I was like, it looks like <laughs> it looks like I'm we'll just say it, it looks like Bethany's children's mask, and I feel bad. Now I didn't I didn't think about it at the time. I didn't really engage in it, but many weeks later, I was like, you know, she was she had one point. She was right on that one. She did. It was really unfair for people dunking on her. None of them had three year olds who had dealt with masks. Childless cat people across the internet <laughs> Pete Buttigieg and the other childless cat people attacking her unfairly last night in Alexandria Virginia <laughs> Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin took dum, to the bum, stage bum, for dum, their dum, final dum. debate of the goober gubernatorial election I am endlessly fascinated with this race I think it's synecdoche for actually all of politics in america right now and am i the only one are either of you guys interested in this at all no yes i'm watching it super super closely I'm kind i of think it, i think it matters a great deal Go ahead, i Tim. don't think it matters really that much at all actually Okay. So uh, does it Okay, is so that because when you, I say hold on, but let me let me let me clarify the question here, Sarah. When we say it matters, I believe what Sarah means is not that the outcome matters, but that the lessons that will be taken from the outcome by both sides will matter. Yes, Sarah? Correct? Uh that that is. I think that the uh look, Joe Biden won Virginia by 10 points. And so I think that there's plenty of good reasons for Democrats to treat this race as something that, you know, I don't think that a Republican has won statewide office in Virginia since like 2009. That being said, uh, you know, this is a, a off year uh, election in which people, uh, you know, with the with with the opposing party in power. Glenn Youngkin is going to test a, a political hypothesis that I think is really relevant, which is, is it possible to run as the, like, moderate and still Trumpy, like, but thread that needle where the downstate people see you as Trumpy, but the Northern Virginia folks see you as, you know, totally safe, normie Republican? And, like, whether or not you confuse that coalition is I think a very interesting question. Timothy. Well, yeah, I, I was answering the question literally in that I don't I don't think that it's just really that important who the governor of Virginia is for the next four years, um, as far as, you know, impact on the nation nation and the national health. Um uh, particularly between these two um, jabronis, um, I, I would like 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 big Terry McAuliffe and Dorsey Bill Crystal. I, uh, I slightly prefer T-Mac, um, who was nice to me once at a party and is a totally unoffensive corporate Democrat. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Is he I, from the capitalist wing of Antifa himself? He is also, yeah. So we both are from the capitalist wing of Antifa, so that's nice. Um, and boy, I just really quick, I was Googling because I was like, I think Sarah's wrong about this 2013 thing. I think the Republicans won the attorney general's race in 2013. And then I pulled it up and ooh, they lost by 0.04. Mark Obenshane. That was a good pull from my memory, though. Really close. Yeah. Not quite there. Uh, not quite there. Um, Sarah was right. Sounds like it was a um, good pull from my memory, actually. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that it was pretty close. I gave you the fact that you were right. I gave you the fact that you were right. Um <laughs> Uh, so uh, look, I, I don't. I think that it's. A, here's one thing I think is interesting about the debate last night, is that Glenn Youngkin, you know, hemmed and hawed, okay, and you know, you could tell that he had the MAGA devil on his shoulder as he was answering the questions about vaccines and the election, but you know, at the end of the 50 second ramble, 
or maybe 90 second ramble a few times like he generally got to just the barely acceptable answer um uh both about the election and then about the vaccine though i i guess he did not say that um he would support a covid mandate so i I disagree with him on that but but you know he didn't get pulled down into crazy town on like should the polio vaccine also i mean he didn't have a clear answer it was generally it's like do you think we should keep the polio vaccine mandate the answer is yes his answer was like well, you know, during my time at McKinsey, um, but uh, he eventually came back around to the answer. And, and I think that that is interesting because it shows that these guys, many of them are just wet noodles with no principles or no pride. And if you can get the incentives right, that, that they would, many of them would come back around to normal. And, and, and Glenn Youngkin, I think if he was in Ohio, I, I have no doubt would be running, you know, a fake MAGA race like Josh Mandel, um, but he's in Virginia. He needs these people that you were just talking about, Sarah, in Northern Virginia, the Red Dogs, the Barbara Comstocks, um, the Bill Crystals, who he's lost, unfortunately. He needs those folks to come over and vote for him, and 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 he is you know, acting like not an insane conspiracy theorist in the final weeks of the election. And I think that is actually a good thing. And, and like the, and that is the beginnings of an answer to how we change the crazy, which is, you know, figuring out a way to change these incentives. Cause right now these politicians, the Republican politicians have bad incentives from the voters, bad incentives from small dollar donors, bad incentives from media. And so they're all going to act bad because they're all shameless, craven assholes. But Glenn Youngkin is also a shameless, craven asshole, but his incentives right now for the next few weeks are good, and he's acting differently. So there's something that we can learn from that. Um, I also think that Glenn Youngkin winning might scare the Democrats a little bit, and there could be some potentially good outcomes from that, um, uh, also potentially bad. But um, you know, maybe the Democrats could learn some lessons from, from getting a, like a mini smackdown in a race that isn't really that important as far as the um the impact on you know whether the 2024 election is going to be stolen or not um so all in all i i have a i'm not i'm not letting my emotions get affected by the results of the virginia governor's race and i do still think terry mcauliffe is 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 favored of course sarah what do you think do you when you look at this race do you think that glenn youngkin is able to simultaneously not scare the suburban voters in Northern Virginia, but also excite the the rural Virginian voters. Because I mean, for people who aren't familiar with Virginia, something like thirty five percent of the state is in Northern Virginia. Um, the only three areas of the state which are growing are Northern Virginia, Richmond, and the Hampton Roads section, which is out by Norfolk. Uh, most of the rest of the state is shrinking. Uh, those three areas are all metro areas, uh, dynamically uh, moving in terms of population and economics, uh, adding jobs, adding dollars, and they're all very democratic. And you get to these tiny little counties out in Virginia, which have you know 17,000 voters total. And those are places where the Republicans are currently winning by like 60 points, you know, so it, it, it's like uh, the, you know, Biden gets 25 and, and the Republican gets 75 or something like that. Um, I understand that my math isn't exact. I'm just giving you an approximation. What Yunkin needs in those counties is he needs to keep those Saddam Hussein level margins. He needs to win by 50 or 60 points and have turnout in all of these little counties be really high. So he has to get all 17,000 voters out so that he can get his, uh, you know, three quarters of those. He can't have that drop to like 15,000 voters. And then you need to add up all of these other, you know, 75 different counties where he's winning by, again, 60 points. And the turnout is really high in order to make up his deficits in the, the three areas of the state that are that are growing and are are heavy Democratic. Do you think he's able to do that while he's doing this dance where he's like, eh, 2024 is a long way off. Who could say? But of course, I'd vote for Trump if he's the nominee. 
Can he I do that with the information I, silos yeah, that so people have? I do think – so the way that these guys run, and, like, there's a bunch of people who did this in 2020, like Joni Ernst – where um, or or uh, the the folks in Georgia, right? They basically cut two different sets of ads, and they present two different faces to different segments of the Republican political coalition because that political coalition is starting to exist tenuously. Uh, and so they have one section of the ads that all feature Trump, right? So downstate, I guarantee you, there's a bunch of mailers, a bunch of TV ads that feature all of Trump's endorsements uh, of Yunkin and Yunkin. For all I know, he's saying two literally different things. Like, for all I know, the, the, I, I'm not, I shouldn't, like accuse him of this, but I'm just saying from a messaging standpoint, I guarantee you he presents much more anti, like he really leans into the anti-mandate stuff, calls it socialism, authoritarianism, what have you. But upstate, he has a totally different, it's a, to, it's a tech vest of a different color. Uh, and he is, he is working the suburbs in a way when it's funny because the person who is sending out the Trump mailer in the Northern Virginia suburbs is Terry McAuliffe. Like, he's sending out mailers of Yunkin with Trump because he wants to remind people. And so this is why, unlike California, which I think there's almost no political lessons to be gleaned, I think Virginia is going to have a bunch of them because one of the big unanswered questions going into 22 is what does turnout look like when Trump's not on the ballot? And that goes both ways. What does it look like for the people that Trump turned out who were low propensity voters? Do any of them show up? Is is it because to, is it do they want to check on Biden? Do they want to do they feel like the election was stolen? And so they want to turn out, you know, in droves to to avenge Trump. Same same question on the left. Does the people that Trump repelled into turning out, do they come out? In a way, and then do those swing voters? Um, are some of them gone? Are they red dog Democrats now, or are a bunch of them bouncing back, saying yes, exactly? Glenn Youngkin's the kind of person that we need in the Republican Party. I know a bunch of Northern Virginia Republicans who hated Trump, who are back to holding, uh, you know, fundraisers for Youngkin, uh, and are, are think he's just just what the doctor ordered to get us back on the right path. But anyway, that's a that's an open question that I'm deeply interested in. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the turnout lessons. I think that'll be interesting. Governors' races are different, you know. Even in even in the Trump era, um, you know, these people you're talking about in Northern Virginia, you know, they might be upset about their you know schools issues or local parochial issues, and you know, if they're not political obsessives, they might not be as mad as as those of us on this podcast are about the insurrection and these sorts of things, and like punish Glenn Youngkin because he didn't say the right thing about this thing that they're mad about. Like, you know, you can easily rationalize yourself that the governor of Virginia really has nothing to do with the insurrection and on and you know all these other things. So, I just. I'm not sure that we can really learn that much about the about what the northern kind of Virginia type voters based on this. Uh, you know, and it will will northern Virginia voters in this race act the same way that Atlanta suburbs voters act towards Herschel Walker in a Senate race? Maybe, maybe, but like also very much maybe not. Um, so I don't know. I, we will see. I will tell you this. I have a secret scoop for our. Um, internal uh for you know our locked podcast here i do i am friends with somebody who um is uh, uh doing youngkin's race uh and they're decently optimistic um like they definitely um you know are not feeling like you know this is this is fool's gold like california was so you know i i, I think that 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 the take should be prepared for for what that means I guess I'm I, also curious. I keep seeing JVL. You were mentioning the Virginia, uh, and so you're the, our Virginia expert. What what is going on in the Hampton Roads Tidewater area? Because that is what everybody says. People are concerned. The Yunkin people are concerned about what's happening over there, and I I didn't really realize that was growing. Why? What? what what's happening over there? Uh, there's a bunch of military related businesses, and so you have a bunch of highly educated people pulled in. And, uh, you know, it's weird. It's like We're contractors. It's like people of, yeah. work for Booz Allen and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's – I've, I've been saying this for a long time. I think that Youngkin is probably a slight favorite. So I – Yeah, that's what, that's I, what I think, my friend thinks too. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I, it's know not quite a coin flip. I think it's got better. Fundamentals – 
yeah, fundamentals. I'm not sure. I mean, I'll, yeah, toss up, but. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we have some disagreement, which is always fun. Uh, I think we're going to have more disagreement on uh, on the subject of Wyoming, the cowboy state. Who wants to set the table? Tim, do you want to set the table? Yeah, I'm interested in this one uh, as well. Um, and also have talked to, I've got a number of friends who work for Liz um, and been talking to them about this. Um, I was intrigued by her six. So, so two big things. I wrote about this on Monday, if you haven't read it. Uh, 60 Minutes, uh, Ch- uh, Liz Cheney did a big interview with them. Uh, where she really held the line on on insurrection and the one six and the committee and what they're doing and and didn't really give an inch on that. Um, she also, which I didn't realize she hadn't done already, uh, belatedly, um, I guess she didn't really apologize, uh, but said she was wrong about coming out against gay marriage in 2013 um, when uh, she was trying to primary Mike Enzi and did not think that the good voters of Wyoming were going to support a establishment neocon who loves the gays um, and, uh, you know, has a soft spot for Matthew Shepard. So she decided to um, betray her sister and go against gay marriage, even though that was after you had some, you know, Rob, maybe only Rob Portman, but you had a few and her father uh, coming out for gay marriage. So um, that was a controversial take that made me very upset at her back in 2013. Uh, she said she was wrong about that. Uh, meanwhile, the New York Times uh, had a big takeout on Harriet Hageman, um, the Trump-endorsed opponent to Cheney, um, that, among other things, revealed she, in 2016, was, you know, uh, allies with Tim, had TDS, and she, she, she was just on those confer call, conference calls with me, talking about how we should free the delegates and let the delegates in Cleveland vote their conscience, and if they want to support Rafael Cruz, instead of Donald Trump, they should be allowed to because they are true conservatives like Harriet Hageman, who is not actually like Donald Trump. She thinks he's a racist and a bigot, thinks that the, the delegates should be free to vote their conscience, even though her fellow Wyomingans, Wyomingans, cowboy staters, um, Wyomans? Wyomans voted, uh, uh, chose Donald Trump as their choice. So uh, that was interesting, as that will, I, I think, maybe potentially open the door for more of a three or four way uh, primary where, where somebody comes into her right. And I also think the other thing that was interesting about, you know, the politics of all this was that uh, Liz Cheney, I, I don't have any super secret info here, so uh, this is just me reading tea leaves. But boy, she kind of sounded like an independent candidate to me on 60 Minutes, um, more than a Republican primary candidate. Uh TBD on all that, I guess. Um, don't know. I don't wonder if you guys felt the same way. But um, a- anyway, I think that the uh, uh, very interesting race, and uh, you know, I-, I just think that both of those stories kind of revealed, um, you know, the contours and sort of changed the contours of of the race a little bit. And I also Tim, wrote about you know the morality of it. But you know, you can read my thoughts on that in, in thebulwark.com. Tim, I have a question for you. Yeah, please. Had. Liz Cheney been down with gay marriage when she lost her her Senate bed. Yeah. To, would that, do you think, have precluded her having won the House seat later on? No. I don't think so. I, 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 there was just no, the heat was not there. Uh, you know, I mean, on balance, did there, if you ask Republican primary voters to like vote in a ballot initiative, do you think that gays should be allowed to be married? I think they would have said no um, in almost every state. Uh, but the heat was not there by 20, when, when she, 16, when she was first uh, elected to the House. Um, I, I, I just... I find it hard, I and mean, it's possible that that you know, you know, that the butterfly flaps its wings, and her coming out for gay marriage sends her down a rhino cuck path, and she decides to, you know, run where she actually lives in Northern Virginia or something, <laughs> right? Like, I I don't know, but I, I just I felt even back in 2013, and I, we were right about this. Uh, Portman did get challenged, and I I said to everybody that would listen that I was like, Rob Portman is going to be absolutely fine. Like, this is not. Yeah, because Ohio voters know that he will support an insurrection one day. 
Exactly. Yeah, right. And he was with them on something. On on he was a party line man. It was his kid, and the just the, the voters, the primary voters, just the heat wasn't there. I, and if you even even if you look at the twenty sixteen primary, the 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 hardline social conservatives like weren't the ones that were for Trump. Like with a few exceptions, like they were for Cruz. Uh, you know the the conspiratorial, you know anti democratic, crazy right was largely in this kind of populist Ron Paul, Donald Trump orbit. And so I just like that issue just didn't have the salience with that crowd um, in the same way that things that went the other direction, like the crazy things, you know, the anti-immigrant shit, the racist shit, the conspiratorial stuff like that, that animated the the Trump and Paul crowd, um, the, the evangelical crowd was fine to go along with, but, but it wasn't a two-way street. The crazy stuff the evangelicals were crazy about, but the populist folks didn't really care about. Sarah, our colleague Amanda Carpenter is pretty confident, I think, I hope I'm not putting words in her mouth, that Cheney is going to hold this seat and is going to, she, her, her position is that, uh, voters can smell a fake a mile away and that whatever you think of cheney harriet is that is that her name harriet the cuck is a fake a big fakety fake fake what do you think um look i don't want to count liz cheney out i am uh, a deep admirer of how she's been conducting herself um i think that uh, she should weigh her options as a presidential candidate, uh, either as an independent or as a Republican who does a principled kamikaze mission to try to take out Trump. Uh, but I am not sure she holds this seat at all. Um, and I don't want to go too deep into it, but I will say I've done some focus groups in the state. And look, people are really, like, people are holding her attacks on Donald Trump against her. I will say Hageman is an interesting choice for Trump to endorse. Now, he does love to take a never-Trumper, break them, and then own them the way that he mm-hmm. did with, like, Bush P. Like, he nothing, mm-hmm. Loves that. you know, nothing Yeah, gets him going, like, being like, oh, look how deep you bend that knee to me. Um so I guess that's why I think he was probably also, I mean, I don't know if you remember some of the other people who'd thrown their hats in the ring, but there was the very special gentleman who had impregnated a girl uh, when she was 14. Uh, she later went on to kill herself. Yeah, it was and just a real Romeo was, and Juliet kind of situation. <laughs> and that's how he characterized it later when he was asked about this, um, what I think would be scandalous, gross behavior. So... Um, so their options weren't great, and so they went with kind of an establishmenty person. Um, the problem is, is like when you say a fake, it depends on what I mean. It depends on what fake means. Uh, so people in Ohio currently seem to think that uh, Josh Mandel is the real deal, and JD Vance is the fake. Um, I think between a Liz, you know, the thing about Wyoming. So one of the things that a lot of the folks group participants talk about irrespective of Liz, is uh, Jackson Hole politicians, right? So there's this sense that there's a, a part of Wyoming that is not real Wyoming, where rich people come to sort of f- act like fake ranch hands or whatever. There was a guy in the focus group, I remember it because he was like, you know, in the grocery store there, they have cup holders so that you can drink Starbucks while you shop. And like he said this, like it was just totally an offense to his senses and to who he was as a human and he was like he couldn't believe that this was a thing uh so uh you know joe biden has actually been going from uh ralph's to king supers to safeway measuring the cup circumference because he wants to make sure that his fucking pumpkin spice latte can fit inside those things so that is something that he should be upset about because that's a key democratic priority in the reconciliation bill people don't understand that this 3.5 trillion dollar bill has allotted 140 billion dollars (laughs) for federal standards for cup holders on uh, grocery store carts. So this is, and it's going to be a ban, a mandate, a mandate. Look, Joe Biden trusts grocery store uh, owners and shoppers to do the right thing. 
which is to have cup holders, but he's also going to mandate it. One of the guys in the group, this was a funny group um, that I remember pretty vividly because one of the guys uh, was like, so he was talking about how the insurrection was a Black Lives Matter uh, Antifa false flag. And he was like, tell me this, moderator person. How come if this was all Republicans, there were no guns? Just tell me that. Why weren't there more guns? Because if this was Trump people, there would have been guns. And Did the moderator have an answer for that question? I do. I never answer these questions. Uh, I never answer it. Although, and he was when I, you know, the, I mean, their take on Liz is that she is a rhino. I did, as the moderator, I did present uh, in that instance. I said, did you know that she, Liz Cheney, votes with Donald Trump far more often than Elise Stefanik, which is the person that she was replaced with on leadership? And they just didn't believe me that that was true. Just she is a rhino cuck. Uh, they don't say cuck. They just she's a rhino. She's a traitor. Uh, she's got to go. And my point is, is that I think that that Jackson Hole uh, mentality, uh, which seemed pretty pervasive in the group. I'm not sure she gets like that Hageman's the fake and everyone's like, but Liz Cheney's more legit. Um, Guys, I don't. That's just what I think. Yeah, I, I have a billion dollar idea just came to me right here like a brainwave. So what if you do one of these focus groups? And you conduct the focus group as if it's totally normal, okay? But I am off camera with a microphone. And so I am able to make comments back to the participants that come over their individual audios, but only to the individuals so that nobody else in the group can hear them. And then when they say, you know, so I can be like, there would have been guns. What are you a fucking moron? And and nobody else can hear it except for that person. When they say, wait, who said that? You and all the other participants can be like, said what? What are you talking about? And we get an entire focus group like that. And then we sell tickets. Almost like a pay-per-view. This is a terrible this. idea. Because I, don't, I, I don't understand. feel I don't like understand it would be amazing. I, I just feel like people would pay a lot of money. It's kind of like a candid. It's like a candid camera type thing. Type, type uh, show. punked. It's like a punked sort punked. of thing, except with the uh, you know toothless mouth. What was the show on Comedy me? Central where they would like dress up as like a bunny and then hop across the street? That was good. I, I, don't, know. I don't know, but can I can I use this as a segue into just something a point real quick on the focus groups, which is that people keep. I asking have another me. Liz Cheney thing though. Before oh, we, but so I have, a, we'll okay. go back to it. We'll go back to it. I just want to answer this. Okay. Uh, which is uh, this idea that I should be pushing back against people with facts. And I would like to tell you that occasionally I do if I want to get a deeper understanding of people's thinking. But for the most part, I don't. And let me just tell you, the reason why is it breaks trust with me as a moderator or whoever the moderator is. They will stop talking to you if they get a whiff of the idea that you are trying to convince them of something. Um, when I have pushed back in the past on things like, um, oh, the election being stolen. I mean, people get really mad and they're like, well, you know, what are you, what are you reading? That's not a true fact. And, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't help then to continue the conversation and to, you know, continue to have a discussion to understand what they're thinking, which really is the goal. Anyway. I totally, so that's I totally agree with this, by the way. No, Sarah. I totally agree in, with this. I have gotten many, many, many emails about your your new show, and not a single person has been like, "Why doesn't Sarah take them to task?" What what everybody asks me is, "How does Sarah not go insane?" That's what they all want to know. They're like, "How is she so poised?" And does she just, you know, keep on moving in a professional manner without just screaming at them and wanting to to wring their skinny little or their chubby little necks? That's I am serious. Know. As an anthropological matter, I have a couple of questions I would like you to ask. But overall, I totally understand. Totally understand the trust building. Um, totally understand. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, you got to tease you a little bit. Um, it's a coping mechanism also for those of us who are just watching, you know, who can't, who can't ask questions, who just have to pull out our hair. Um, I have a question for you, though, about the Liz Cheney thing. As I was watching the 60 Minutes, it just occurred to me, and I kind of alluded to it in the article that I wrote. But... Um, I, I, do you think that, that her obvious regret, this is a question towards Sarah, over the way that she treated Mary, is 
in some way contributing to like what she to what she's doing right now. Like it does feel to me like she you know suffered from that and that you know she just is like wants to be a free woman. Um again and doesn't want to have to like relive through all of that again. Am I is this is this unfair armchair psychology or do you think that that, that there was you know that the little butterfly was flapping and that has that and it has impacted how she's acting now. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't quite know the answer to this. Uh, I do. Here's what I think. Uh, I think that she clearly felt extremely bad about that. Mary was not only her sisters, uh, married, they had children. Uh, and so those were, her nieces and nephews. And I bet that that's the kind of thing that keeps you up at night that you, and you know, and you know, Tim, you know this, but if you were, if you were involved in sort of conservative gay rights, gay marriage stuff, uh, as, as I deeply was for many years, Dick Cheney was like a hero to us because he, Back in 2004, back when the Republican Party was using it as a as an affirmative wedge issue with voters, uh, Dick Cheney was out there just saying, like, yeah, I, I uh, freedom means freedom for everyone. And we love our daughter very much. And, uh, you know, he was he and, and we love our grandkids. And, you know, he just he never backed away from it. And I think that my guess is, is that that just Liz made a clearly what was obviously a political calculation that she deeply regrets. And I think that I, I can't tell if this is quite what you're getting at, but my guess is she also made a political calculation about Trump. I mean, remember she voted for Trump in 2020, according right. to her. Right. And so, and not to mention 2016, she stood behind him uh, many times. She has an affirmative voting record with him. And so I think part of what's happening, right. Is that, she hit a point that we've wanted lots of people to hit and not been able to understand why they don't, which is that she hit a breaking point where she couldn't, she could, the insurrection, and the insurrection was that. Obviously, we all feel like people should arrive at that a lot sooner, but she did it. And then, like, there's no looking back. Now she's clearly like, I'm going to sleep at night. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to feel good about what I'm doing. And I, and I, she sort of has zero Fs to give about, uh, I mean, I, I think that, I, I don't think that doesn't mean she's not thinking about a next move. I don't think it doesn't mean that she's not thinking about how she could run for national office, but I actually think that now it is more about what she thinks is right than it is about like ambition. Yeah, I th I, obviously that's the case. I just wonder in a, a hypothetical world where Mary Cheney is a, is a heterosexual Christy gnome who's maybe playing kissy face with a, with a Trump staffer, like whether Liz like acts differently, you know, I guess that's our, that's my whole point is that just like there was like, there, it's been long enough of this and like, she's been carrying this with her and that that has like played a part. Maybe I, you know, whatever I, 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 we're being armchair Freud's here, but I, Tim, I just, I do think that that's interesting. Tim, give me a number on this race. Give me a final, final vote. If she number. if she stays in the Republican primary, I think that she loses like seventy five to eighteen. To six. <laughs> wow! Yeah, I think that yeah. she gets annihilated. Uh, I I I'm intrigued by the independent option, and like I said, I just do you think she drops before she? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't again. I, I don't know. I've never talked to Liz Cheney in my life, so I have no inside in, info. I'm just as a as a strategist sitting there watching that sixty minutes interview. Like there were a lot of ways that she could have softened. And, and appealed to the Republican primary base, a lot of opportunities to do that that she did not take. You know, there were a lot of chances to do the Glenn Youngkin two-step that she did not take. And to me, that sounded like a person that was that's thinking about pulling the plug and running as an independent. I don't know that. Um, and maybe that's wrong, and she's just saying YOLO, and she just thinks that she knows something that I don't know about the, Wisconsin, the Wyoming excuse me, electorate, and she's just going to do it one... Whatever people do in Wyoming without their Starbucks cup holders at a time, you know, one little, what, what do people do in Wyoming for fun? I don't know. Honky tonk, one honky tonk at a time. And, and she's just going to do it that way. I don't know. But, but, I, but it seemed to me like she, she's, she's, she's looking at another option. 
All right. Uh, Sarah, big week on Capitol Hill because we have Democrats deciding that the most important thing in the world is to fight each other to the death on whether or not they're going to spend money with the possible price of failure being the destruction of the Biden presidency. It's a pretty good good plan, right? Good job I mean, by Democrats. I, yeah, I think we talked about this last week, so I don't know how much I want to belabor the point, but I do just want to say uh, that this is, I'm like, it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion. I can't believe that this is how they're dealing with things. I This is one of those moments where, I may have said this before, but like you sort of wish that Joe Biden was 15 years younger and that he was like just ripping people, you know, up, like getting on the phone, yelling at them, corralling people. Uh, and instead they seem to, and I mean, look, I think Nancy Pelosi probably figures this out pretty soon, but like Republicans are outmaneuvering them. Like that's the thing that's like, so before going into this, they had, I think, enough Republican votes, especially if they decoupled it from uh, the 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 reconciliation three point five trillion, where they could have passed it without their progressive wing, uh, or they could have negotiated some number down and and got it to a better place and picked up you know twelve Republican votes, um, but this like hard line. I'm not I'm going to blow this whole thing up if you don't do what I say that's occurring on both sides. Obviously, I side with the moderates on this. Uh, or I don't know if that's obvious, but it's true. Um, but I still think um, uh, I still think that it is the, the way that this is being handled is absolutely crazy. I would like I to belabor be- the point. Yeah, OK. I would like to belabor the point on just one point in particular, because I never get asked this on MSNBC. They just want to tell me about how the Republicans are terrible and we can talk about this because they're terrible um too as part of this debate but but there's one thing that is just you know as i have a cross stuck in me and i just i just have to make this point i've made it a couple times on twitter and people get mad and it's like the this there this is not a strategy the progressives have no strategy like like if if you know this has nothing to do with whether i think that the 3.5 trillion should pass this is this is me just speaking as a strategist like what they're doing right now is emoting. They have no leverage over Joe Manchin, like none. They have actually negative leverage over Joe Manchin. I, I, I was trying to imagine in my head what is the best ad that Joe Manchin could possibly run for re-election in West Virginia, and the best ad I could think about him running is a is a thirty second video of AOC saying that Joe Manchin was the one that prevented us from having nice things like that would crush in West Virginia. So not only do the progressives not have leverage over Joe Manchin, they have negative leverage. What they're doing right now is helping him, actually. I would I would bet that if you did a West Virginia focus group, you'd have at least one person who's like, I'm happy that Joe Manchin is standing his ground against these libs. Maybe, well, more, I've, maybe more. I've done more. an Arizona focus group, and all the Republicans were like, I kind of like Kristen Cinema. She's doing a good job. So, right. And like, which is why she has like she's in a, a different position where like they're talking about a, a Democratic primary challenger, which they can't do in West Virginia for her. Right. But the but but the fact is, she is popular in the state because she gets marks from a lot of Republicans too. Yeah, the cinema calculus is a little more complicated, but yeah, because yeah. of all the things you just laid out, exactly right with the primary. I'm a little less certain about the cinema, but but it doesn't matter because she's not sufficient. Mansion is who you need, and, and so like this this just. Like guttural yelp from the left that is that it has a very it is feeling very reminiscent to me about the buddy fights for Trump. It's like it's like well Tim, what do you want us to do? Like this is it? We, you want us to just fold and cave? I'm like I no not no I don't I don't know. I I want you to go talk to Joe Manchin and figure out like what it is that you can get from him. And and by the way, I want you to pass the damn infrastructure bill that has already passed because this this game of chicken is not going to be the way to convince Joe Manchin to pass reconciliation. The 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 pressure on Joe Manchin to pass reconciliation will still exist because you only get one shot at reconciliation. So so there will there will be another round where people can yell and scream at Joe Manchin if they want, if they want to get that out of their system. Like the infrastructure bill has nothing to do with that. And like and and you know, then you get people who are like 
oh, Joe Manchin, like, this is his little baby, and we're going to keep him from this. Like, that is such bullshit. Joe Manchin doesn't give a fuck about the infrastructure bill. He does not care. This is not like some West Virginia stimulus bill. Like, he's fine with it. He cut a deal that he thought was passable, but this is not his baby that he cares about. And by the way, they're, they, they are now undermining the idea that the infrastructure bill is a big win. You know, Noah Smith wrote about this in his blog, uh, in his Substack the other day, which you can do for Saturday, JVL, is like, 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 the infrastructure bill has lots of great stuff in it. And the Democrats right now should be running around the country saying, look at all this great stuff that we're doing for you. Look at all this great stuff they were getting you. And uh, instead, what the Democrats are doing is like, this infrastructure bill is nothing as, unless we can get this other thing. So I, it, is, it is a mind-bogglingly idiotic strategy that is not achieving what they want at all. So if you're coming to this and saying, I want the reconciliation bill to pass, my number one goal is the $3.5 trillion reconciliation, and I'm mad at you, Tim, that's fine. What I'm telling you is come up with a new strategy for doing that that actually achieves that. Because what this is doing is imperiling the, the caucus, imperiling the popularity of the party, imperiling a bill that is just that is just fine, the infrastructure bill that they should be blowing up, and doing literally nothing to help, possibly hurting the, the ability to pass to get Joe Manchin to pass the reconciliation bill, so that 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 is my vent. I'm really I'm really sick of it. Sarah, that was that a, was really sorry. Go ahead, JVL. Is there a caucus of Democrats that is not actually interested in winning elections? I I, I mean this seriously. I no, not most of them. But but is like you know is there forty percent of the party or something like that? Which because this is what I don't fully understand. The Progressive Caucus is their theory that. If they could just force Joe Manchin to do this, then it would be better for for Democrats electorally. Or is it that like if they blow this up, it will be better for Democrats electorally? Because that seems insane to me. Uh no, it's definitely insane. I actually just wanna I wanna tag on to one Tim's rant was really, really good. And I, I the Thank other you. thing that they're doing strategically that's terrible is that so they have given Republicans all the offense stuff now. So now what Republicans are doing. So, you know, I was looking at the the debt ceiling and I was like, God, Murkowski's voting against raising the debt ceiling. Romney's voting against raising the debt ceiling. What's going on? Oh, their strategy is, hey, Dems are in disarray. They only get one more big reconciliation vote per the parliamentarian. So what are we going to do? Let's make them blow their their uh, one shot at reconciliation on the debt ceiling instead of on uh, the infrastructure package. And like th- these guys are just getting owned uh, because they are they are allowing these fractures to happen out in the big wide open. And then I'll now I'll answer your question though. So I do think that there's. Something that that if you're AOC, the people that you are surrounded by, you forget. And this is why I keep saying, like, Biden's got to get everyone kind of like in a room and yell at them all uh, and give people some perspective. Because, you know, the 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 squad surround each other and they they, you know, they all think they think the same way. And they come from places where people are telling them their constituents are telling them, hold the line. You know, you have a pr- be principled, fight Joe Manchin. They hate Joe Manchin. They hate Kristen Cinema. Uh, they're mad at them. And like they're doing this base play and f- and and seem to be not realizing that A, a lot of other people, Abigail Spanberger, Alyssa Slotkin, Seth Moulton, a whole bunch of other people live in districts that don't look like theirs and where people are actually a little more hinky about all the spending and where people aren't as comfortable. Uh, and they just don't care right like they are on a messianic mission and they you know that's this is why like it was unconstitutional to say that landlords couldn't evict people who weren't paying things they knew it was unconstitutional but you know cory bush was sleeping on the steps of the supreme court or something so uh you know so the the dems said let's just do it anyway uh this is a bad way to do politics when so normally, in normal political times, I would just be opposing them for this, and I would be on the Republican side. I'm not on the Republican side. What I want is for them to get it together and understand the threat that the Republicans pose and how they are now going to be able to, not only are they imp- they're imperiling Joe Biden, they're imperiling their chances in 2022, but Tim is completely right about the fact that they are sabotaging 
Like the one thing that they needed to pass this bill and then spend a year messaging on it. And now they're not going to be able to do it. And like they are all like even if they get it together now and they just like pass, you know, a one point five trillion dollar, whatever it is, like they're doing damage they're not going to be able to undo at this point because there's still a year, whatever, but they are they are harming the old. People aren't going to pay attention to everything that's in this bill. What they're going to look at is, can these Democrats govern? What is wrong with them? What are they doing? Is this undoable? The 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 un, un undoable rather uh, the damage that they're doing. So let's let's say that the the omnibus reconciliation bill falls apart. They wind up just passing somehow the infrastructure bill, etc. And they use their reconciliation on on the debt ceiling. Maybe that's not a bad place for them, right? Then they can spend the next however many months on no, the debt ceiling. No, no? no. Yeah, you don't think because, it's no, on the debt because, ceiling on the infrastructure. No, you you think that's they've no, already. Then they'll spend the next year listening to the progressive members and the MSNBC pundits and etc. talking about how they failed. To get the thing that really mattered with the climate justice bill and the economic justice bill. I, I they, they're already, you know, I, I just, I can't imagine a situation where they change their, they change their tune. So I, I, I no, I, I think it's salvageable in the sense that like, eventually that they could get Joe Manchin on board. Like Joe Manchin might be retiring. And so, which again speaks to the point that like this whole leverage thing is just a complete nonsense farce that like they've ma- made up in their own heads that they're like imagining that they have leverage that they don't have. Um, that like this leverage exists only like in the prog- progressive Twitter bubble, um, but but he might be retiring, and so they you know might win a game. They could win a game of chicken with Republicans on the debt ceiling, um, as has happened before. Um, they could then pass you know I don't know what did Joe Manchin want one point five trillion maybe there's a two trillion they get him two trillion that has some good stuff in it. Um, you know I don't know what he cares the most about. Maybe it's the uh, universal pre-K, uh, maybe it's the child care, um, you know, provisions. Um, and, and then they could message around that. I think that's, that's salvageable, but, but no, if they end up getting nothing or if they end up getting only infrastructure at this point, they've sabotaged the fact that they can message around that. I think I, I will say one other, I, I have one other rant because th- this, you know, for any youngs who are listening to this and by young, I mean, I'm young. So if you're my age, or younger than me. If you're one day older than me, like okay, you and your Snapchat old. peeps, um, we're all so if you're my a bunch of yeah. Uh, like this, little up until like what year? Literally, like up until 2010, 2009. Like, like none of this would be happening because throughout the entirety of the twentieth <laughs> century. Uh, the parties were such that the Republicans would have had 20 members, you know, maybe 30, who would have also signed on to the bipartisan infrastructure bill signed by the Senate that was passed by the Senate. They would have gotten together with, with the Democrats and they would have passed this bill. And, you know, there would have been a rump caucus uh, on the left who would have complained about it and maybe voted no in protest. I think many of the normie progs like Raskin or, you know, they say they have 42 people, but come on, like 42 people were really going to vote against Biden's first thing. I don't believe that. Maybe eight were going to or maybe even 16. But they have a majority. They add on top of that Republicans. They would have whipped the vote, uh, made sure that they had enough from both parties. Bipartisan infrastructure would have passed three weeks ago. So like that is how things worked from, you know, <laughs> the 1920s all the way through 2009. And and then Mitch McConnell and the Republicans decided that they were going to be a nihilist party. And after and 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 where winning the political game of the week was more important than whatever serving the people had to do with. And so now you have Kevin McCarthy and his caucus who are lockstep against this. Even though, how many Republicans voted in the Senate for it? 16, 17? 19. Um, yeah, 19. They're not, so they, they don't have that those 20 people because they want to win the game and make the Democrats look bad. Um, and so the Republican nihilism is, is the source for why we're, the Democrats are in this clusterfuck. And so you blame the Republicans for that? 
It's crazy. It, it has nothing to do with public service. But at the same time, like the Democrats then need to be aware of who their opponent is and deal with it as such. And so the types of games on the far left of playing chicken with your with your administration's bill, which might have actually worked fine during the Tip O'Neill days, because you knew that Tip was going to deal with Ronnie and they were going to make it anyway. And so you and you know on the far left of the House Caucus, you know Dennis Kucinich or whoever it was back then, could could you know have the, have a little tantrum and say that it wasn't good enough, and maybe maybe get a get a little bit out of that and and drag the bill to the left a little bit. Like that, you can't do that right now because you're dealing with a bunch of nihilists, and and so you gotta you gotta work as a team. That's what the if, end of my rant number two. Two rants. What if the entire Biden theory of governance, which is we still can pass legislation together, is wrong? Well, it would have been right. Yeah, that's, if they would have just no, done if it. If they would have just done it, they, they had the momentum. Like this is this is this is my my rant is that there was a miracle. Nineteen people. Mitch McConnell voted for this infrastructure. They were going to give Joe Biden this this gift, even though weirdly Democrats were talking about this reconciliation package at the same time, which I never understood for one second what the incentive was for Republicans then to go ahead and do it and give Joe Biden this political win. But the reason was infrastructure was always a little bit different. Polls super high. People wanted to do infrastructure. Uh, lots of people want stuff for their states. They Trump was for it. Trump, was whatever. It. There was a million yeah. reasons. But when you get night, we everybody sat here and said, you'll never get 10 for anything. You'll never get 10 for anything. And then boom, they get 19 on infrastructure. That's your one shot. You ram that thing through as fast as you can. You take it, put it in your pocket and go run on it. And like, I just, when I say they can't get it back, like, I just mean like, that's a, that's a, that's a blown opportunity. And, and, and now, so let's say at some point, right, they do get something through, um, or like these guys, like the, the progressives will feel demoralized by it. So instead of feeling great, instead of feeling like it's a big win, you know, people are going to feel crappy about it. And I think that that is that's not that's not good. No, what what I'm what I'm trying to ask gently is, what if the progressive caucus is itself kind of nihilistic? Right? I mean, we just take it as given that the Republicans are a bunch of nihilists and the difference, they do the, like here's the difference. Opt- it's just really like, quick. It's a, the yeah, difference is that, that they actually care about yeah. the outcome. So yeah. so it's not nihilism. I mean, it might be I, I, I sociopathy or narcissism <laughs> or something, but like it, it's not nihilism because they, they, they have a genuine outcome and they think that the reconciliation bill will help people and, and that they, they have a deeply held beliefs that they're fighting for. And I, I appreciate all that. I, I just would like them to fight smart. Okay, okay. So... Would it, we could call it whatever you'd like. We could call it psychosis. We could call it naivete. But what if, again, we sort of take the Republican posture as part of the environmental features, right? Well, yeah. what if that, the, the, is the, the disposition of the progressive wing, is another part of the environmental features of this landscape, which make it such that legislating through normal order where the two political parties horse trade and passed up and got is just simply not possible anymore. What if this Republic is so sclerotic that we, this is, I guess what I'm, I'm, this is where the authoritarian stuff comes from, right? It, it all bubbles up because people think, eh, none of this stuff works. Maybe it just doesn't work. I just disagree with that. I just think this was like a screw up. Like, they should have seen the politics of this coming from a mile away. Uh, people should have, you know, they should have had closed-door meetings about it. They should have worked some stuff out beforehand. Like, if Joe Manchin was going to have a number, they should have figured out what that was. They knew he was going to object to the three-point. I mean, like, so th- I just, it, it was one of these things where this was a totally preventable disaster. I don't I don't think that it is. Yeah, uh, now some, I just, I, I want to just. I want to represent what some of the people in my Twitter replies would say to that, which is, well, that's Joe Manchin's fault because he didn't make clear what he wanted and, you know, he's hiding the ball and he's not answering. And it's kind of like, my, my response to this, yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. But that was part of the environment that you were dealing with. You had a 50-50 Senate, like not a 59-41 Senate, right? So, I, yeah, I, I, look, JV, I mean, I think that generally speaking, the Biden theory is shaky, I guess would be my would be my answer to your question. But I think it is doable. Um, but you know, it it, requ- it requires a mi- it, it requires him bringing along the other people in his party to the mindset, and obviously he's not done that. Yeah, it's all very bad. All right, we've run ultra long yet again. Uh... We gotta we gotta stop ending episodes with it's all very bad. That's just not it's not a good place to end. Okay, let me try again. So things are looking bright. And I'm sure this week is going to be a lot better than last week. And it was great all being together again as we witness the rebirth of our republic. It's morning in America. Tim and Sarah, thanks for being with us all together on the next level. Peace. <laughs>